ghost emoji. I'm Becca. I'm Taylor. And we're going to talk about spooky stuff today. And it's all a thousand percent real. Totally. I definitely didn't scroll to the very end and see the sure Jan in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the Wikipedia article. It was so weird. Oh, that's so weird. Was it the GIF or just sure Jan? It was the GIF, but I know that's not going to translate, so. Fair. I just did it in all caps. Wikipedia was my main source today. We're talking about the Lubbock Lights, which was a mass UFO sighting event back in the 1950s here in good old Tejas. A Tejas! Yeehaw! Ride em, cowboys. But uh, mostly it's from Wikipedia, but I also got a small chunk from like a History Channel article, because I guess they did a TV show sometime this year called The Blue Book, or I keep wanting to call it The Kelly Blue Book, but that's the car book. Uh, Project Blue Book is the TV show with the dude from True Blood playing a big shot UFO man. Eric or? The Weasley one. Oh, him. Like the king of Louisiana. Weasel boy. Okay. <laughs> you know, you know the one. I know the one. <laughs> I've seen his, his, his like slimy looks. I know of his ilk. <laughs> I've got the cut of his jib. But yeah, so they did a show, and so I guess they did an article on the real thing. Did not watch the show, so I don't know uh, if it's been punched up. Probably. Because even though this was really cool, I mean, y'all already know where I stand. But it's interesting. It's definitely... I, I was trying to find stuff that was like mass UFO sightings, not just like, I saw a thing one time, and it might have been a balloon, but it looked real weird. You ever seen a weird balloon? You'll never forget it. <laughs> It's a weird, like a balloon animal just floating through the air. I mean, that would frighten me a little bit. You know, I I should have looked it up. It's it's too short, I'm sure, to do like a full episode on. But I always think of back when I was kind of in the middle of like a existential crisis thing, and I was having a hard time with all the people that were constantly like predicting that the world was going to end. And there was one dude who was really fixated on the idea that aliens were going to show up on this one specific day. And it was back when I worked at the apartments and he was like, aliens are going to come and they're going to give us all the knowledge we need, which I guess sounds kind of good. But also I was like, oh man, I don't know if I'm ready for aliens. I'm having kind of a rough time. I'm not ready for this. And then on the day that he said it was going to happen, there was like, a weird mass UFO sighting like somewhere in the northeast and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, I haven't been I haven't been training for this. I've been a scully my whole life. What am I gonna do? And then it turned out it was like a big cluster of metallic balloons that had escaped from some teacher's like going away party or something like that. But I still remember like the cold pit in my stomach when I was like, he did it. He knew. He he knew. <laughs> Uh, I'll have to see if I can find an article or, or something on the guy, but I just remember it, it popping up and then seeing that come up like the next day. And I was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe this is those aliens. They're here. Them boys, they're here. <laughs> I'm like, I haven't been training for this. <laughs> As if there's like a 
protocol that you could just look up. Oh, yep, this is in, on page 67 of my uh, survival handbook. It's how to deal with aliens. You gotta call Becca and she's like, I've been ready for this. I'm ready to, I'm gonna kiss all of them. I'm gonna kiss all these aliens. <laughs> I've been kissing aliens since 2007, baby. I hadn't, I hadn't played Mass Effect yet. I didn't know how, what, how do you, what do you do? How do you bang an alien? 2012 is when ME3 came out, so I was primed and ready. Uh, just the reaper noise. <laughs> this picture of these balloons. <laughs> My training is complete. <laughs> but, but yeah, so this isn't about that, but that was my, my one time where I was like, maybe I do believe. I just don't know. But this was way back before I was born. I'm an old, but I'm not this old. It was, uh, see, the Lubbock lights, they were an unusual formation of light seen over the city of Lubbock, Texas, in August and September of 1951. Where is Lubbock? Lubbock is kind of, like, at the bottom of the panhandle. Mm, okay. Closer to West Texas than not, but kind of, like, central and up. Mm. Like, if you were looking at Texas as, like, kind of like a star shape a little bit, a little bit, I know it's not... Texas is its own shape, but if you were going to go, like, kind of in the the upper left-hand quadrant, it's kind of over there. Texas is shaped so interestingly. Yeah. Yeehaw. All right. So, the initial sightings were on August 25th, 1951. Um, about 9 p.m., there was three professors from the Texas Technological College, which is now called Texas Tech University, the fighting dust storms. Does, I think they're raiders. I can't remember. They're it's a, it's a college, and they do have a mascot, um, and they are located in Lubbock, which is where the Lubbock lights are. Um, anyway, so these three dudes, these three professors, very smart dudes, were hitting Fighting floppy disks. <laughs> and I was reading one article, and they were like they were drinking tea and talking about micrometeorites. You know the way academics do. These ain't no frat boys, I guess. Um, so they were sitting, and then they observed lights fly overhead. There was a total of 20 to 30 lights, as bright as stars, but larger in size, and they flew over the yard in a matter of seconds. The professors immediately ruled out meteors as a possible cause for the sightings, and as they discussed their sighting, a second similar group of lights flew overhead. Hmm. So, no meteors. Meteors are out. Meteors aren't cool. We're done with meteors. So the three professors were Dr. A.G. Oberg, a chemical engineer, Dr. W.L. Ducker, wish that was my last name, a department head and petroleum engineer, and Dr. W.I. Robinson, a geologist. They reported their sighting to the local newspaper, the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, and after the newspaper's article, three women in Lubbock reported that they had observed peculiar flashing lights in the sky on the same night as the professor's sighting. Dr. Carl Heminger, uh, a professor of German, at Texas Tech, also reported seeing the objects, as did the head of the college's journalism department. So lots of corroborators, I guess. Yeah, these lights were all over everybody's sites. I saw them in my pantry. I saw them in my car. I saw them in my toilet. I saw them in my bed. Oh! <laughs> too sexy. Too sexy! <laughs> but I said, get out of here. I'm not that kind of professor. <laughs> You're going to get your grade the old-fashioned way. you got to romance me. <laughs> Need a little romance. No, no romance. This isn't what? Mass Effect. <sighs> no fun. Uh, still more people reported seeing them. 
At dusk, all the way out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, about 350 miles away from Lubbock, an employee of the Atomic Energy Commission's top-secret Sandia Corporation, which sounds like it belongs in Fallout, um, a man with a high-level Q security clearance, which means nothing to me, but the Q is in quotation marks, so it must be important, um, had been sitting outside with his wife. According to a later report... They were gazing at the night sky, commenting on how beautiful it was when both of them were startled at the sight of a huge airplane flying swiftly and silently over their home. On the aft edge of the wings, there were six to eight pairs of soft, glowing, bluish lights. Mm. Wasn't, wasn't that a good reading? Do you feel like you were there? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So an hour or so after, according to a retired rancher from Lubbock, his wife had seen something terrifying in the night sky. So it was described this way. Just after dark, his wife had gone outdoors to take some sheets off the clothesline. He was inside the house uh, reading the, new, the paper, and suddenly his wife had rushed into the house, quote, as white as the sheets she was carrying, end quote. The reason his wife was so upset was that she had seen a large object, object glide swiftly and silently over the house. She said it looked like, quote, an airplane without a body, end quote. On the back edge of the wings were pairs of glowing bluish lights. All these glowing bluish lights. I mean, it's all very consistent. Yeah, that's the thing that's kind of weird is is how many people saw it and how many people described it the same way. Let's see. So the three professors, back to these three eggheads. Ober, Ducker, Robinson. You remember Ducker. He's your favorite. Ducker is my favorite. <laughs> Oberg. Robinson. I like Robinson, I think. He's a geologist, you know? Tag yourself. I'm Ducker. I'm Robinson. Okay. <laughs> Who's Oberg? It's all of you. Shuri. <laughs> Maybe Rachel wants to be Oberg. Yeah, she can be Oberg. These three jokers. Um, they became determined to see the phenomenon again. They can't get enough. On September 5th, 1951, all three men, along with two other professors from Texas Tech, were sitting in Dr. Robinson's front yard when the lights flew overhead. According to Dr. Grayson Mead, the lights appeared to be about the size of a dinner plate, and they were greenish-blue, slightly fluorescent in color. They were smaller than the full moon at the horizon. There were about a dozen to fifteen of these lights. They were absolutely circular. It gave all of us an extremely airy feeling. Uh, Mead claimed that the lights could not have been birds, as some people are going to later tell us it's birds. Okay, maybe, I guess, I don't know. But he also stated that they went over so fast that we wish we could have had a better look. The professors observed one formation of lights flying above a thin cloud about 2,000 feet. That's 610 meters for our meter peeps. Um, this allowed them to calculate that the lights were traveling at over 600 miles per hour, which is 970 kilometers per hour. Math, it's amazing. Look up at a cloud, say, hmm, that cloud looks like it's not too far from me. You're going a million miles an hour. I know that because of physics and science and triangles. All the things I failed in school. Mm. <laughs> Becca's not good at triangles. I'm really not. <laughs> Sine, cosine, nightmares. It's fine. Oh, God. So, now we've moved on to the heart photographs. And by heart, not, not H-E-A-R-T, it's H-A-R-T, so just so you know. Not like the band. Yeah, no, it's not like the band. Like the animal. Before the professors had their second encounter back on the evening of August 30th, 1951, Texas Tech freshman Carl Hart 
was lying in bed looking out the window of his room when he observed a group of 18 to 20 white lights in a V formation flying overhead. He grabbed his 35mm Kodak camera and walked to the backyard of his parents' home to see if the lights would return. Two more flights passed overhead, and Hart was able to take a total of five photos before they disappeared. After having the photos developed, Hart took them to the offices of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, and after examining the photos, the newspaper's editor, Jay Harris, told Hart that he would print them in the newspaper, but that he would, quote, run him, Hart, out of town, end quote, if the photos were fake. I'm going to run you out of town, kid. Okay. I like how he's like this like kind of West Texas man. And he's like, you hear me? If this is fake, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Oh, God. When Hart assured him that the photos were genuine, Harris paid Hart $10 for the pictures. Wow. Gee whiz, sir. That's so much money. So the photographs were soon reprinted in newspapers around the nation, including Life Magazine. Now, I kind of feel like Hart got screwed because... You know, they printed these all over, and he gave them 10 bucks to put them in that journal, but they got put all over. They got put in a magazine with Marilyn Monroe. Golly, mister, what a deal. <laughs> he's he's like a, a freshman in college. Why does he Golly, sound like mister. Angus McDonald? Because <laughs> he's five. <laughs> Man, uh, thanks, sirs, for, for looking at my photos. Gee whiz. Ha <laughs> ha. Sure can't believe you're going to put it in Life magazine. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. It's 1951. But, I mean, the photos, they, they look interesting. They're they're older photos, so it's one of those things where, you know, they just, it's amazing that they even took them at all because it's just a couple couple little blips, but they're they're consistent. It's, it's a weird formation. Like, they're circular, but they're not all consistent, and they're kind of almost like in a boomerang shape, like not a sharp V. But like a long V. Like a V that's trying to lay down. Looks like a tired V. It's sleepy. It's a V that's had a day. I'm so tired. Just want to go home. Just going to take a quick nap. <sighs> Just a little, little quick kip. So the physics laboratory at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio analyzed the heart photographs. And then in late September 1951, Lieutenant Edward J. Repelt, the supervisor of the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which you mentioned earlier, decided to investigate them. This hot shot. Whoa. Thinks he knows everything about everything. I just imagine him taking off some aviators really dramatically and being like, Wow! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Except he takes it off and it's just, yee-haw. (laughs) (laughs) What's that one song that played... It's Rawhide. Rawhide is playing oh, in the background. At that there wedding? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. I feel like we need to explain why they were playing Rawhide at a wedding. Oh, it was karaoke, which, if you can imagine it, like, karaoke of Rawhide is a different pick. It was a strange, a strange pick, but the guy who was doing it was super into it, and he the was. crowd loved his energy. We were in a museum and we looked over and there was like a lady on the staircase who was like pantomiming like she was lassoing and just laughing and i feel like in the right setting it could have been kind of threatening and a little bit scary but instead it was just you know a lot of joy well people reliving memories being like man remember when rawhide was on tv it honestly felt like we were watching a vine (laughs) i did feel like i was trapped inside of a vine So I was like, this is so fucking weird. Like, it just felt very surreal, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. What a time. It was a good wedding. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was a really good one. So by the time Repelt flew into Lubbock to investigate sightings in late September, hundreds of residents had seen the lights over a period of two weeks. After an extensive anal... (laughs) Anal. (laughs) (laughs) Anal. After an extensive analysis and investigation of the photos released... Um, He released a written statement to the press that, quote, the heart photos were never proven to be a hoax, but neither were they proven to be genuine, end quote. Hart has consistently maintained to this day that the photos were genuine. Uh, Curiously, the Texas Tech professors claimed that the photos did not represent what they had seen since their object had flown in a U formation instead of the V formation depicted in Hart's photos. Yeah, I found a couple of different, like, accounts of that. Because some of the stories I read said that the professors did see a V formation. So I guess the fact that there was a handful of them, maybe some of them thought it was more of a U and some thought it was more of a V. I mean, potato, 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 uado. Get it? Because I I tried to put a V and a U on the front of it. Vavavo. I know that you think they would want to work together because one of you know this guy comes in he's like look what I found sirs and they're like that's no good get that out of here what is this trash that's a v you fool absolute fool I think the real problem here is misogyny well I mean that is the problem but hearts a dude and they're a dude so they're just hating on each other they don't like the v oh the v get it I get it. I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. Air Force investigation and controversy. Project Blue Book, which is not the same as the Kelly Blue Book, the book that you look in to find out how much your car is worth. I have a question. If I just put project in front of any two words, does that make me sound like I have some sort of like underground military thing that I'm doing that might be skeevy? Yeah, for sure. Project Big Bird. Ooh. <laughs> if we were the kind of people who named our episodes not what they're actually about, this one would be called Project Big Bird. <laughs> Project Big Bird. Oh. Uh, that came so fast. How long have you been holding on to Project Big Bird? Exactly in that second. I was like, Big Bird. <laughs> Big Bird. Man, that's it's been in your brain. Apparently, it's been ruminating for 31 years, and it just finally had the chance to be birthed. So. Well, you know, just keep holding on to it. Something will come along, and you can call it Project Big Bird. So this is not Project Big Bird. This is Project Blue Book. Founded all the way back in 1948 as, I guess, initially as Project Sign, which is not as cool as Project Blue Book, uh, was the Air Force's official research group assigned to investigate UFO reports. So it's basically the X-Files. Uh, Rupelt traveled to Lubbock and interviewed the professors, Carl Hart, and others who had claimed to see the lights. Um, his conclusion at the time was that the professors had seen a type of bird called a plover. Sounds fake, but whatever. Uh, the city of Lubbock had installed new vapor streetlights in 1951. Everybody be vaping. And Rupelt believed that those birds were vaping. And all you could see was the fat clouds. <laughs> Project Fat Cloud. <laughs> Damn it. 
<laughs> no, so they put in these streetlights, these newfangled streetlights, and uh, Rupelt believed that the plovers, when they were flying over Lubbock during their annual migration, that their, like, bellies were reflecting the new streetlights at night. Which, I mean, I guess I get. I just, I'm like, what were these birds' bellies made out of? Like, traffic tape? That they're going to be shining all blue and green and round? Hmm. I don't know. But I mean, some people were like, okay, that tracks. There's a couple people that were like, I get it. That would make sense. Um, there was one dude on August 31st, 1951. So the same year this is all happening. Uh, it was a guy named T.E. Snyder. He's a local farmer. And he had observed some birds flying over a drive-in movie theater. And he noticed that the undersides were, in fact, reflecting the light down the way that Rupelt is saying that it happened. Uh, there was another witness named Joe Bryant who had been sitting outside his home with his wife on August 25th, which is the same night that the professors had seen the lights initially. And he and his wife had seen a group of lights flying overhead and then two other flights, which sounds a lot like what the professors saw. Um, they said that at first they were baffled by the objects, but by the time that the third group of lights passed overhead, that they began to circle around their home and Mr. Bryant and his wife were like, oh, those are birds. Like, they could actually hear the birds, I guess, honking. I, I read somewhere that they're, they're like, duck-like. What's a plover? You ever seen a plover? Let's look it up. What's a plover? Oh, they're cute. Aw. I've seen those. Oh, and it rhymes with hover, so it's a plover. Mmm. Wait. Can plovers Are you fly? sure? Plover is a free open source stenography engine. <laughs> what? What about the bird? Tell me about the bird. Tell me of the bird. Hmm. So is the bird pronounced plover or plover? Hmm. Common ringed plover. I think it's plover. Okay, well, we'll say plover. I can live with that. Plover is cuter, but... It sounds like clover. Yeah. Oh. Well, there's a whole bunch of them and... They're, they're cute. They're a bird. I guess they do have little pale bellies, but I don't know if I buy it. It's kind of kind of weird. Project Copper Fan. Are you just saying words now? Project Dog Bed. Okay, Becca, I know we're going to get through this together. <laughs> Project Fake Plant. Oh, God. All right, so uh, there's another dude, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Mmm, tag yourself. Um, an astronomer and one of Project Blue Book's scientific consultants contacted one of the Texas Tech professors in 1959 and learned that the professor, after careful research, had concluded that he had actually been observing the plovers. But which one, which one is it? Which one of y'all is a narc, huh? Mm. Which one of you's changing your story up and going against your friends? Can you imagine being, like, haunted by this for eight years? Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I mean, if I made a big fat deal about it and then like yeah, maybe, like what if he realized it was birds like two weeks after the fact and was like, oh damn, there's this dude down here and he's making a big deal out of it. I can't tell him it's a bird. I made Project Blue Book. I can't take that shit back. This guy's from Ohio. He's a big wig. I can't tell him. <laughs> Ohio? God forbid. He's gonna whoop me. <laughs> Yeehaw. Uh. I'll fight anyone from Ohio. I'm not scared of you. I'm scared of everyone. I know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so someone narked, someone turned, but they didn't name who it was. I hope it wasn't me. I hope it wasn't Robinson. <gasps> the betrayal. It was probably 
Ogberg or Oberg or whatever. He sounds like a narc. Thanks, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rachel. <laughs> Just kidding. So, however, not everyone agreed with this explanation. William Hams. Oh, man, I should have picked Hams. <laughs> you jumped the gun. <laughs> Damn it. Ducker and Hams. Oh, can that be a new show? Yeah. Ducker and Hams solve the mystery of... Project Big Bird. Project Big Bird. <laughs> Ducker and Hams. Project Big Bird. Okay, so anyways, William Hams is the chief photographer for the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. I keep wanting to say avalanche because of the Why? dash. I don't know, Taylor. So I can't fancy. Explain. The Lubbock Avalanche. <laughs> it's like Givenchy. Oh, anyways. So, this photographer, Hams, he took several nighttime photos of birds flying over Lubbock's vapor streets, streetlights, and found that he could not duplicate Hart's photos. They were too dim to even be developed. So, Dr. J.C. Cross, the head of Texas Tech's biology department, ruled out the possibility that birds could have caused these sightings. A game warden Ruppel interviewed felt that the sightings could not have been caused by plovers due to their slow speed, which is 50 miles per hour or 80 kilometers per hour. Kilometers per hour? Am I okay? You know, it's been a long week. (laughs) I'm struggling. It's Thursday. We're not even done. Fuck. Buckle up. (sighs) Due to their slow speed, 50 miles per hour or 80 kilometers per hour and tendency to fly in groups much smaller than the number of objects reported by eyewitnesses. Although the warden did admit that an unusually large amount of plovers had been seen in the fall of 1951. That's such a weird thing to like. Well, a plot thickens. Bunch of people did call in about plovers in 1951. Like who has those records? I don't know. I mean, he's a game warden. That's his life. I guess that's true. That's true. You know, grandkids are sitting at his knee and they're like, grandpa, tell us a story and he's like man you wouldn't believe 1951 plovers blacked out the sun (laughs) we didn't see the sun for 60 days so (laughs) dr mead who had observed the lights strongly disputed the plover explanation Quote, these objects were too large for any bird. I have had enough experience hunting, and I don't know of any bird that could go this fast. We we would not be able to hear to have gone as fast as this to be birds. They would have to be exceedingly low to disappear quite so quickly, end quote. I was just thinking about a big bird. The whole time, I was like, as soon as Becca finishes talking, I'm gonna be like, he's never seen a big bird. This sounds like a case for Dunker and Hams. <laughs> I'm gonna be okay. All right, you're so, so close. You're so close, Becca. <laughs> Help me. Okay, in his 1956 book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects, Rappelt rejected the plover hypothesis, but declined to say what the lights were. Uh, Quote, they weren't birds, they weren't reflected light, but they weren't spaceships. What the fuck were they then? (laughs) The flights have been positively identified as a very commonplace and easily explainable natural phenomenon. 
It is very unfortunate that I can't divulge the way the answer was found. Telling the story would lead to uh, the, identi the identity of the scientist who finally hit upon the answer, and I promised the man complete anonymity, end quote. There's a lot of ellipses in that sentence. It is. Well, it was just a, a big, long explanation. He's like, I know what it is, but it's so weird. I can't tell you. It's so sad that I can't tell you this very normal thing. But I can promise you it's not spaceships. But it's not birds. But I can't tell you. It's also not refracted light. <laughs> it's Project Big Bird. I wasn't worried about refracted light. I wasn't worried about that, sir. Well, he's here to put those worries to rest, regardless. But yeah, they've never really, like, officially, like, they've never said what it is. I don't know why this guy's anonymity is so important, but they, they've they never said. But a ton of people saw him. And maybe it was birds. Like, I just assume pretty much everything in the 1950s that people saw that they didn't know what it was, was secret government planes and stuff like that. Because it's, it's the Cold War, you know? Yep. Yeah. We're working That's... on all sorts of shady shit, so... I feel like that that makes sense. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it's the government. The mm -hmm. 50s were a, a wild time. The wild west of, of UFOs. It's true. Them's the Lubbock Lights. You're welcome. It was an interesting tale. Yeah, I thought I did pretty good for pulling it together in like a day and a half. Yeah, I was very impressed. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I totally dropped the ball this week. Hey, I dropped the ball for a whole month, like last month, so... It's uh... okay, that's fine. <laughs> Don't worry. I dropped it, and I eventually picked it back up, but I did let it just lay there for a very long time. It's, you know, sometimes you gotta just let the ball rest. Um, I got one shout-out for this week, because I don't know if anybody else new is listening, but I know someone else from my Discord, last, my Discord, the Discord that I'm in, that I take part in with some of my gaming friends who love to snack and play games. But a couple of them listened, and they heard the shout-out, and they said thank you, and that warmed my heart. My friend Deathman listened. I can't wait for them to be like, your friend's annoying, but we love you. They would never. Not to me. They better not. I guess that's enough. <laughs> but, so thanks for listening, Deathman. I hope, if anybody else is listening, let me know. If you hate it, don't tell me, because it'll crush me. For everybody who is listening, I always appreciate the, the listen. I don't have any shout-outs. You can shout at me. Thanks, Taylor. You're welcome. For being here and listening to me cry about <laughs> all the time. Like a sad, lost, idiot, fool, boo-boo the fool that I am. You're my boo-boo the fool, so it's fine. I don't have anything scary this week because everything sucks. So I just wanted to say that I saw Detective Pee-Pee-Chew, and it was so good and pure and, like... In a world of Sonic the Hedgehog live-action remakes, I'm just so happy that Detective Pee-Pee-Chew is out there just drinking his little coffees and kind of being inappropriate and talking about his jellies, and I just, it made my heart happy. He's a good boy. That was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. It, it inspired a lot of joy. I definitely did sit between, uh, I saw it on Mother's Day, and I saw... I sat between two families with very small children, and I was like, what am I doing here? This is a movie for children. I was sitting with all people our age on the back row, so I was fine. Uh, I was surrounded by babies, and like every time a Pokemon came on the screen, they would just be like, that's Pikachu. Aww, and the mom babies. would be like, uh, Jonathan, shut up. 
God, no. They didn't actually say shut up, but they were just like, honey, you need to be quiet. And they'd be like, that's Licky Tongue. Ha ha, that's Charizard. Sweet babies. And then the mom would be like, why is that funny? And they'd just be like, ha 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 ha. Children. And their weird baby voice. Strange, strange little creatures. Mm-hmm. I just kept thinking that each, each like small family with kids probably was like, I wonder why they brought their weird older daughter or aunt with them. Not realizing that I didn't belong to either of them. I was just sitting between them. Nah, I'm sure they didn't care. The guy that sat next to me had like nachos and something else. And he kept getting up to go to the bathroom. And I was just like, is he not having a good time? And I wanted to turn to him and be like, sir, are you not having a good time? Do you want me to tell you what happened while you were gone? Do you not feel it in your jellies? He's like, I'm feeling something in my jellies. That's why I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah, he probably was. I felt bad. He he may not have been going to the bathroom, though, because he would come back so fast. So, But he did it like six times. If it had been like twice, that's normal. Maybe it was a lot. farting and he just didn't want to fart right next to you. That's very kind of him. I know. But he missed so much of the movie. Yeah, that was mostly what I was worried about because he missed like the part where you see all the Bulbasaurs. And I was just like. Oh, no. Yeah. I was like, man, no, they were so cute. My favorite part was Psyduck. Psyduck was very good. There's one part I kind of like forgotten about. And then I remembered how I like actively like smiled and kind of squeed a little bit. And I don't feel like it spoils anything. But there's one part in the movie where Detective Pikachu is kind of feeling down. And he sings the Pikachu song. Or not the Pikachu. He sings sings the Pokemon theme song to himself while kind of like crying (laughs) softly. And I was just like, oh man, I, I feel that. I feel mm-hmm. that hard, little mm-hmm. little Pikachu, little Pikachu mm-hmm. man. Yeah, that oh. was a good scene. It was just all just, it was good. I liked it very much. It was a healing balm. It was a nice little touch of, of with everything going on, I just wanted to, to go live in, in Pikachu world for two seconds. Yeah. And the first, Pika, or the first, first Pokemon you see in the movie is my favorite Pokemon, Cubone. So. Nice. Love you, Cubone. I just looked up in the sky like I'm trying to, like he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) I'll miss you, Cubone. What the fuck? R.I.P. Press F in the chat for Cubone. Man. (laughs) You know who we didn't see? We didn't see a Tangela. Where's Terry? Terry, he's gone. Where's Terry? He is gone. He's gone. Stolen by that criminal. Kevin Punt. (laughs) I hope that bastard's in jail. Be there with Brittany Williamson. Sorry, Brittany Williamson, you going to hell. You hurt me in elementary school, and I hope you're hurting. Yeah, she's a Taurus. She's never going to let it go. Just, no. Just, just be ready. That'll be the last name I utter as I die. I've forgotten no. all of my children's faces, but <laughs> I can fucking remember Brittany. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> No, let 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 Brittany go. Only think about only think about Pipichu, his little face, his jellies. <laughs> do you have anything, or do you just want to ride on my Pipichu high? I mean, I can ride on the Pipichu high. I like was gonna talk about well, the okay. So the only thing that's brought me joy, other than Detective Pikachu, has been the turn turn it off now if you haven't watched Game of Thrones episode eight season or season eight episode five yeah if you haven't seen it just get out of here goodbye always remember to say goodbye thanks subscribe goodbye (laughs) just go just get out leave don't watch it even 
I've been reading on Tumblr. Uh, it's a hashtag, and it's the Jamie Lannister is Alive Clown Club. And it's brought me so much joy because it's literally them just being like, put on your clown nose and your shoes. We ride at midnight. Jamie's not dead. Don't worry. Even though it's really, it's just all of us being in denial. It's nobody actually thinks he's alive. But then there's also some like theories, but it feels very much like uh, that one image from um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the Pepe Silvia it's, it's very much the strings tied to a bunch of random shit being like, no, see, he's probably alive. It's fine. Has anyone made that but with him in clown makeup? No, but that would be really great. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be an accurate representation of your life right now. Yeah, that's pretty much all I've been like able to do for the last four days is digest like memes because... I'm so unhappy. If nobody knew, Brienne and Jamie are like my favorite characters in Game of Thrones. And so this has been a bad time. It was such a good time and then such a bad time. So fast. It's hard to watch my friend struggle so much. But I'll watch her. <laughs> I won't do anything. I'll just I'll, watch. I'll, I'll, I'll document it. <laughs> I'll peek my head and be like, you want some soup or something? <laughs> just drown me under my blanket of sadness. Uh, leave me uh, to die pretty much i felt very naked in front of all of our co-workers today when we were talking about it just because i feel stupid but also at the same time i'm like i am feeling these feelings and i cannot stop them it was your birthday celebration let your fandom freak flag fly at half mast because you're in mourning yeah if anyone else is feeling really sad feel free to comment if you think that his death was great and you thought that he and Cersei belonged together, you can die. Just kidding. You, you don't need to die. <laughs> you, just, you should stay away from me. Cause she's, I, not, she's not kidding. I won't, I, won't, I, won't, I won't tolerate it. <laughs> it's fine. Think about Detective Pikachu. Cubone. Ditto. I feel only sadness in my jellies. No, Bulbasaur. Mm. Think of Bulbasaur. Mm. Bulbasaur. But anyways, so the memes have been keeping me alive. And uh, on Sunday, we'll know what happens. And I'll either cry a lot. Well, I'll cry either way. But, um, yep, just going to wait until George releases the last two books, I guess, which will be in exactly 20 years. So if we're lucky. Godspeed, George George. R. R. George Martin. Who's this man? George R. R. Martin. You got. You almost got it. Yeah. I was so close. Damn it. So close. That's it for me. Well, that's yeah. That's the show. That's that's it. If you like the show, you can follow and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play. We're on Spotify. We're on Podbean. We're on a bunch of different random podcast catchers. So wherever you want to follow us, you can. Uh, we always appreciate a review. Nice juicy five-star review. Mm. You can tell a friend. Mm, delicious. You can follow us on Instagram or on Twitter at Ghost Emoji Show. We post more on the Instagram. I'm trying to be better about the Twitter, but Instagram is normally where we post photos and stuff like that. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at ghostemojipodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's it. Thanks for listening. As always, remember to say a goodbye. Bye-bye. Oh, Right, I'm in.